0: Today you'll meet Lindsay Koch. Lindsay is our clinical nutritionist over at YouMustTryIt.com and hers is a story worth sharing for so many reasons. Lindsay's journey to becoming a nutritionist began in Hawaii with a terrible accident that left her with extensive injuries. It prompted a total change in direction for Lindsay and led her to a career in nutrition and to us. She often says, I'm a teacher first and a nutritionist second. I try to plant seeds of knowledge and awareness that might sprout at some point for those listening. I'm confident she'll plant many seeds for all of us today. Please welcome Lindsay. Lindsay. Now, you know her so well through You Must Try It and the fantastic videos that she's been producing there. But let's find out a little bit more about our own clinical nutritionist, Lindsay Kosh. Lindsay, it's about time we had this conversation, isn't it?
1: Look, I feel really, really lucky to be part of this team. It's pretty special what's been happening over the last few months, that's for sure.
0: Well, we can say that it's serendipitous that we all came across each other, and is this wonderful mix of of women and stories and backgrounds that are creating uh, the ageing project, and of course our sister platform, you must try it. And you are, I have to say, the oh, I don't know the one of the greatest teachers I think I've come across in this process. The way that you're able to communicate and break down topics, and what is really, you know, chemistry. not 101 at all. You know, we're getting really in depth now with uh, the products that we have on You Must Try It. So where did your love for helping people, where did your love for health and wellness begin? To be honest, I think
1: it probably started when I was little. I was always the the kid that was the one staring at ant trails and, and looking at plants and collecting things. And I think I always had this analytical brain that I had to understand how things worked, but it really probably focused more in biologic, you know, biological sciences and things like that. I loved animals, I loved plants, I loved being outdoors. That might be the Tory in me. I'm not sure. So I think it started when I was little, um, and then when I got into my undergraduate education, I actually started it in biological sciences because I just thought I didn't know what else I would be interested in. Mm. And then um, I was 18 at the time and living in Hawaii on the Big Island. And as you do with all your roommates, um, most people don't realize that in the Big Island in Hawaii, we do get snow, which is really, really kind of cool because you can be in tropical paradise and drive a few hours up the mountain and you can be in snow. And it's on top of a mountain called Mauna Kea, which the ancient Hawaiian culture, they believe that Pele lives up there. Now, Pele is the fire goddess and she has quite a fiery temper. And so therefore, that's where she lives. She goes up to where she can cool off. Um, so it was pretty cool um, living in Hawaii and starting my studies. But when we went up there with my roommates, there had been just a, a fresh snowfall. And um, it's not great snow, but it's just kind of really neat thing to do. And we went up there, and I, I look—I don't remember much of what happened because I tell the story itself as, as if it was from someone else. But essentially, we hopped on the roundest sleds, and I got on – First, and went down the mountain, and ended up hitting a lava rock at really high impact that was buried underneath the snow. So it was a critical accident. That was, yeah, I think it was. It was something that was a learning experience for everyone on the mountain because no one had ever been rescued up there before because it's fourteen thousand feet in elevation. Oh, yeah, so it was honestly. I think it's one of the biggest blessings that I've ever had in my life. Um, but it was definitely a journey to to go through the process. It was um, I had two guys that came up there that they were snowboarding at the time and they were my little angels because a lot of my roommates at the top, when I slid down to the bottom and kind of hit, I, I didn't move. And they thought, oh, that's going to hurt. And then I still didn't move. <laughs> and it was two of the snowboarders that I think it had some first aid um, training. They went down to me first.
0: Yeah, the, the rescue process up, up that high in, in that sort of altitude wouldn't have been an easy thing at all.
1: Well, no, because it's actually, there's less oxygen. So you have to go to 19, you have to go to 9,000 feet and acclimatize and let your lungs get used to having lower oxygen levels. And then you go up to 14,000 feet. So at the time, from my understanding this, they had never rescued anyone up there. And they also had never taken a helicopter that high in the atmosphere. And there was concerns oh, about it because they didn't know if the rotor blades, you know, would have an issue. And and that was, to be honest, those, those are my, I feel like I had a million angels even the pilots in the helicopter that were willing to potentially risk their lives to get that high up in the mountain to come and get me, um, it's pretty amazing too.
0: My goodness, this story obviously has a a happy ending because you're sitting here talking to us now, but what happened happened then? Yeah, look, the accidents it, it sort of got quite a few
1: injuries that were critical. I ended up losing my spleen. I severed my renal artery, which is one of the largest arteries that you have in your body. So I was internally bleeding quite a lot. I punctured my left lung, broke ribs, broke forearm and elbow. So it was something that they needed to get me down pretty quickly. I don't think they knew at the time because you're all, you know, a bunch of extra clothing because it's quite cold up there, but they did. They got me down in a couple of hours. Um, Thanks to, like I said, those beautiful people that helped me, but they still didn't understand how I made it down to the, the hospital down in Gila, Hawaii, because it was several hours of internal bleeding. So I, like I said, I think it was divine intervention somehow, because I should have probably not been here, but I
0: am. So, so I'm assuming there was a lot of time spent in hospital and a lot of time to contemplate life. Um, but, but growing up in Hawaii itself, as you say, you, you know, this beautiful story about what that mountain represents and the culture is so connected with nature there as well. That's something that's obviously ingrained in you from a start. And then the accident obviously brought on another level. It did what 18, like I said, at 18, you feel like, well, you feel like you know
1: the world and then you realize you don't and something like that. Has an impact, that's for sure. And I remember being in the hospital and wanting to get out and wanting to move because I was a very outdoors person. And it was through that process that I really found the path that I'm on now because my beautiful mother and my family members actually couldn't tolerate the hospital food. So it was really impalatable to me. I couldn't get it down. It was almost like my body was rejecting it. And so my mother would go to an organic health food store a couple blocks away. And get every single meal there. So she was bringing in green sludgy drinks and organic produce and meals, and that's what I ate. And then you know they they let me out of the hospital a lot earlier than they thought. So they estimated with the amount of injuries that I was going to be in there that I was going to be in there for several months. And I got in out in about two and a half weeks, mm. which the the doctors were like, "What are you doing? Wow. <laughs> what
0: what medications? What is, is your she feeding you?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's
0: she smuggling
1: in?" <laughs> It is. They did. They really. They were quite suspicious at one point and sort of accosted my poor dear mother and said, "What are you doing?" And she said, "I'm. I'm not doing anything. All, All it is is bringing in this beautiful food." So it was from that moment that it was kind of like it was destined. I understood from that very soul perspective that food is healing, and it can help the body through that healing process. And so once I got out. Uh, It was about a year of rehab, so I had to learn to walk again and do a lot of the rehabilitation for it and had to delay because I had started, like I said, my first semester in my undergraduate. But Mm -hmm. by the end of that year of rehabilitation and feeding myself well and and going through, I I just knew. I just knew that I had to change all my studies into nutritional medicine and and go from there because I felt like I probably shouldn't have made it, but... um, I felt like it was an obligation that I needed to now pay it forward, that message that food can heal. And so pretty much at 18, it's kind of cool to know what direction you're going to go in life at that young age. And that's why it's, it's honestly, it's the biggest blessing to me.
0: So out of this accident, and obviously the, the time that followed sprouted seed and sprout nutrition. Yes, yeah, look, it's a
1: clinical practice that I've had for a long time. I started out pretty much working. I actually was working in a health food store at at 16 before my accident. So I've pretty much been in health food stores from then um, and love the environment, love the people. Um, And then when I came over here and finished off some of the studies and did some honors research through university, I knew that I wanted to delve in and working one-on-one with people. And so, yeah, Seed and Sprout Nutrition came up, which is the the clinic that I have. and i picked that name for a reason because i always said that the conversations that i had probably most often in health food stores with people coming in i always felt like i my role was to plant a seed it was to plant a seed of knowledge or awareness or a thought and i never knew when it would necessarily sprout for them it might be tomorrow it might be a month from now or it might be a, a year from now that they think about that conversation that maybe we had and and some of the things that they can do for their health so it's been something that I feel like I've been trying to do for a long time because I do feel like I'm a
0: teacher first and a clinical nutritionist second. So when do people come and see you? How do you find a clinical nutritionist and why would someone uh, choose to come and see you in, in your practice rather than, as you say, go to a, a health food store or a naturopath? Mm-hmm. What is it that a clinical nutritionist can, can give us, can deliver to us?
1: You look, I think people that are coming to someone like myself is they're probably having some significant challenges by then. I think they've probably gone down the route of the GP and the doctors and the standard medical and just maybe haven't quite found the answers yet. And so they end up probably searching and they're going, look, it's about time that I need to go into a little bit more depth and try and get an understanding about what's actually happening. So it's probably, I, I don't get simple cases anymore, which is okay. It's generally pretty complex by the time someone comes to see me. But it's it's about, I would say, healing happens in layers. It's about kind of unraveling things, understanding, getting people to question, you know, the, the questioning process when someone comes to see someone like me, it is over an hour. And I find that enlightenment happens with my clients, not necessarily because they're coming to see me, because I'm asking them questions that make them reflect about their journey or their past or their history. And it's really interesting. You see little light bulb moments go off for people where they're like, wait a minute, that might have been the start of where this particular health condition has come from. So even just going through that process is really interesting for people and I think really beneficial.
0: This is where one of the huge differences is, isn't it, between what we know as modern medicine, I guess, and and visiting your GP. And as you said, people might be with you, what, for an hour first up, rather than that 15-minute consultation. They're sitting with you for an hour and digging really deep into where these issues might have started. It's not just how I'm feeling today, but how I got to how I'm feeling today.
1: Yeah. Look, it's hard to even get through it in an hour, I'll be honest. (laughs) I'm quite known for going way over time. Because it's just, you have to, I mean, the questions that we ask even now is asking, you know, how were you born? How was your birthing experience? Have you had a chat with your mother? Was there trauma during that experience? How stressed was your mother during pregnancy? And people kind of look at me like I'm a little bit strange and and they go, well, why do you want to know these questions? And I say, well, we know so much of our health epigenetically actually starts in utero. So if your mother has had a really traumatic or stressful time during pregnancy, then we know that that can epigenetically influence predispositions for someone to be more stressed or more anxious. So we have to go deeper and as deep as you possibly can to try and get that information to be able to truly fix a problem rather than just taking the the symptom and band-aid approach. We, We want to get to the heart of the problem. So it's a bit of digging
0: it's just, it's mind blowing is what it is, Lindsay, because through that integrated process, and I went to a, a kinesiologist, uh, not so long ago, and she said the same. She said, Something happened in your mother's third trimester with you that has triggered this certain thing that I was, I was seeing her about. And I said to my mum, what were you doing? What were you doing when I was, you know, in the womb? And this this sort of has led both of us, both my mother and myself, down a path um, that we never expected we would go to. And, again, it, it might sound crazy to some people to ask that question, mm. but once you start to unpack everything, and this is what's blown my mind about the whole Aging Project is that everybody that we speak to just adds another piece to this incredible puzzle of how extraordinary the human body is, for one, but how if we just listen to our bodies and our minds, Mm. um, how much information you can actually gather. And it may not seem like much at the time, but again, we've spoken about journaling. If we start to write down these little things that pop into our heads, surely when we come to someone like yourself, we're armed with a little bit more knowledge and and self-knowing. That perhaps we've never even bothered to tune into before. It's. It's fascinating. It's fascinating.
1: <laughs> it well, you know, they say that when it comes to intergenerational trauma, they believe that it lasts on average for seven generations, which that's mind blowing in itself. To think that something that can happen possibly yes. seven generations ago, if and where this can shift, is consciousness and awareness too, which is really really cool. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean that because your grandmothers or grandfathers, you know, had something very challenging happen, that it has to affect you. But it's the awareness that then, I guess, sets that platform that you can change things, which is again super exciting. There's a, there's a whole field of people that are delving into the trauma. And it's definitely a part of health. It's it's something that I often refer clients out to. So if I do discover that there is some trauma there, that's definitely just too much for me to try and do everything. So I will definitely refer to people that can can work on that because we have to look at that aspect as well. As much as I'm a clinical nutritionist, I know it's, it's not even just about nutrition. There's layers, lots
0: of layers. Mm-hmm. And again, in Western medicine, uh, in, well, in Western civilization, we've lost that storytelling aspect of our culture, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Whereas some other cultures might be in touch with those seven generations and they may have heard the mm-hmm. stories, at least of their own family, if, if not the culture itself. So we, we do have a lot to learn and we've got a long way to go, but it, it's so wonderful that this is now coming to the forefront and it's not as woo-woo as as we used to think it was.
1: No, no. I was saying that um, one of my mentors that, very early in my studies was a medical anthropologist um, named Alberto Villaldo. And he went down to the Amazon. And I think he ended up staying there for over 12 years. And he simply just wanted to study the Aztec culture and the shamans that were there. And it was really interesting because there's beautiful books that he's written since then. And he says that in that particular culture, there is only one disease and there is only one cure and they believe that the one disease is disconnection and the one cure is connection, which is just such a beautiful, it had such an impact on me, I think when I heard that, that it's always kind of stuck with me when I look at someone's health, is that how can we reconnect someone, A, with their body first. As I always say, a symptom is a sign. It's it's the body's communication pathway. And if we're too busy and we're too distracted and we've got too much noise going around, we tend to ignore the little symptoms and signs that our body gives us. So can we connect with our body again? Another thing that we need to work on is connecting with food and, and nourishing ourselves. Cause so many people are so busy that they don't want to cook. I've had, I've had people come into my clinic and they go, well, I really want to get better, but I don't like cooking. <laughs> and I go, Oh, I, look, look, I'm not sure how much I can help Great. you here. Great.
0: food's better for you anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, oh, Good. my gosh. Good. food all where, the way. <laughs> yeah, where do I begin? <laughs> but because it's, it's, we're, we're too busy to do that, and this is why if you go to Italy and you go to cultures that have that slow foods movement, there's something so beautiful about cooking, and there, it's, it's, it's a ritual. It is a ritual that I think we have lost And so I want people to connect again with that. And then how much do we connect with our environment? And the one thing that I always say is we are biological creatures, but I think as humans, we feel like we can remove ourselves from biology. And there's so much of our health is dependent upon our environment. And so if we connect with our environment again, I know people have probably seen the videos of I'm a big advocate of going in watching a sunrise. And it's also really important to see that sunset because our circadian rhythms are dependent upon receiving certain wavelengths of light. So we need to connect with our environment as well. So it's really true what these incredible shamans in the Amazon, they know it's connection. It's how can we kind of get that connection in all aspects of our life to improve our health.
0: The other thing that I've really learned and something that stuck with me is that our bodies actually haven't evolved at all to Mm -hmm. the lifestyle that we're living now, not just um, the way that we live, you know, in inside our homes, but just the pace Mm -hmm. at which we move, the stress levels that we have, the food that we're eating. You know, we think we're we're these highly evolved creatures and yet nothing has actually changed for us evolutionary for, for so many thousands of years. Mm.
1: No, it's, it's, they call it a mismatch disease. They say that most of the diseases, you know, in the past used to be infectious diseases, apart from obviously the last few years. But we used to have more issues with infectious disease, and now we are chronically having issues with chronic inflammatory diseases. And this is as a result is that really 100 years is what they estimate that the culture, the way humans have lived, has changed. It's really actually only been in the last 100 years that it has changed at such a rapid rate and from evolutionary terms, 100 years is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. So our body reacts very primally. And that's like we talked about, like that stress response system, is that our body is oriented from its stress response system to if there's a neighboring tribe or if there is some particular physical threat and it's supposed to be switched on and then it's supposed to be switched off straight away. And that is not what is happening. So we're living in a time when there is chronic levels of, of stress and busyness. And we're finding our system is just not handling it well. And this is where autoimmune conditions are on the
0: rise. So it's all inflammatory type conditions, everything that we're working with at the moment. So these are things that we need to work on, as you said, like our meditation, like taking time, like our circadian rhythms, but also in, in what we're eating. And that time that you, as you said, to take the time to prepare your food, um. hopefully turns off that sympathetic system as well, doesn't it? You are taking a moment for yourself. And I know some people, you know, meditation isn't for them, but I'd like to think if it was just a break in your day to do something that you love in a safe space, is that enough to actually turn that parasympathetic system on or off? Look, I think it's
1: unrealistic to expect someone to go, look, just cut all stresses out. And that's something that, you know, it's not, it's not going to be reality. So one of the things that I tell a lot of my clients is to keep balance. If you are one of those people that likes to roughly schedule your next week ahead, if it's a Sunday night or something, I say, look, get down, get that visual calendar in front of you for the week. And I want you to actually put in restorative practices first, which means it's a whole new way of thinking about your schedule, which is complete opposite to what most people do. They do all their work schedule, and then if there's any ounce of spare time, then maybe they'll put some restorative practices in there. So I say, do it the opposite way. Put in the acupuncture appointment, put in the Pilates of the yoga, put in the breath work and meditation. And if you do it this way and then fit all your work and other demands around, then it's going to be easier for you to just keep balance because we're just a little bit skewed at the moment. And we just, we don't do enough because you've got to realise the, the level of stress and busyness that's going on is at really chronic levels. So we've got to, you just have to do it.
0: And it's a hard realisation though, isn't it? You say, well, I can't. Mm-hmm. If I was to actually do that, I've got no time in the day for the things that I need to do. But then you also say, well, if you can't give yourself that, what's mm-hmm. the point? And I know there's going to be, there, there has to be a transition period, I believe, with all of this. Like I, I call myself the reformed smoker when it comes to all this wellness business because it's, it's not how I lived. Um, I think I sort of had elements of it in my life without knowing it. But when you become aware, it just seems so necessary, so obvious and something you have to make a priority. But it's not something that you can just change overnight and you can't just cancel things that you've had planned for a month to make time for your meditation or acupuncture. So where is the best place to start? And if you were at the very beginning, where, you know, where would you begin with what you need to do in that, you know, 12 hour wake period? Linda.
1: I always say start at the morning and evening. I go, those can be two moments that you generally have time before work that how you start your morning and how you finish your, your evening is really, really impactful because this also is really impactful on sleep. And most people realize is when we do our healing, so if you have a health condition that you're not happy with, when we do our healing is when we're sleeping. And it's often in those early morning hours between you know 1 to, to 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. So if you can look at how you wake up and how you finish the day and you keep those two moments sacred, which isn't too hard to do, then that can actually make a really, really big impact on your health. So I always say start there. Wake up. Expose yourself to some beautiful sunlight. Have a big glass of water, as we're big advocates for here at the You Must Try It. And have some greens. Have good nutrition. And at the end of the day, my husband calls me very lovingly the the, the light Nazi because I go around at a certain time and I am switching lights off and turning things on. And he's like, I cannot see. And I go, you're not supposed to at this particular time because (laughs) – You're not not supposed to. (laughs) You're supposed to say anything. You're supposed to be relaxing and winding down. Um, Bless him. Thank goodness he's a patient man. But it's really, really important because, again, I always say to people, well, look, what what is the color of a sunset? It's yellow and orange and these beautiful hues. Well, that is the exact type of wavelength that we need to have in our houses if that's the case. But often it is these really stimulatory LED lights. And so it confuses our system because we have receptors in our eyes and our skin that are quite receptive to lighting and wavelengths of light. And your cortisol gets affected quite dramatically as a result of that. So the body kind of gets confused because it goes, well, hang on, according to my internal clock, it should be evening, but then I'm getting these blue wavelengths of light that is stimulating my cortisol production. I'm getting spikes in cortisol when they should be low because we need them to be low for then melatonin to rise which again gets you into those deep rhythms of sleep. So at the end of the day, we really should be having our beautiful salt lamps on or just lamps in general, rather than the down lights, because that'll make a really, really, you'd be surprised just doing that, you will get better sleep. And the biggest thing too, is also the devices, the screens, the phones, and, and all of those, they're having a really, really big impact. But again, that's getting connected to our own biology and realizing what our body really needs.
0: Just a quick You Must Try It pause. Our sister platform has taken off and we're grateful for all the love. Thank you very, very much. Women across Australia are shopping our must-try products. Dr. Anna Kabeca's products, the Three Warriors Faced Tan Mist and the LeMav BB Cream have been hot items from day one. If you haven't checked us out already, please do. We'd love to support your ageing world journey with the products that we've discovered. Youmusttry.com is where you need to go. Now, back to the show. If we were just wanting to start today doing something better for mm. ourselves that is hopefully going to prolong our visit to you or perhaps put it off altogether, what could we yes, be doing yeah. that is a really easy thing to sort of integrate into our into our program?
1: Yeah. Look, I'm a big advocate is, is you can get a lot of information from standard blood pathology if you know what to ask for. I know. Um, you know we've talked about this before of, you need to know what to look for to find the problem. And so that is where going and finding a practitioner, an integrative holistic GP, or just your doctor that really is willing to dig a little bit deeper, you can start there. Most, if you ask most people, they haven't had a blood test in several years. And it is a window to the inside. It can tell you a lot of information if you have someone that's able to interpret the data and give you all those little nuances that you can find within pathology. So I always say, start there. Book an appointment, find the right person, find someone that's going to really help you if you're not feeling as good as you want to, get some blood pathology done, and then just start trying to make those little daily changes. You know, we have big advocates at the You Must Try It website of trying to reduce toxin loads. You can start there as well. You can start switching out your deodorants. Mm -hmm. You can start switching out your skincare and cosmetics. You can obviously have good nutrition in the form of greens and water. So you can start those little simple things while you're on a little bit of a journey of investigating what your body's trying to tell you from an internal perspective. So you can start there for sure.
0: I did start at my GP after, after we chatted um, over a year ago, I guess when we first kicked off, and I got my blood done um, and everything came back normal, 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 normal. You're in the range, you're in the range. And I was pretty proud of that. I thought, that's great, I'm happy to be in the range. But then I started to question, well, am I, am I in the high side of the range? Am I right in the middle? Am I in the low part of the range? Do you want to be in the high part? Do you want to be in the low part? I don't want to just be in the range now. I would like to be optimal. So how do you go about finding out what is optimal for your age and and what is that range and where did it come from in the first place? Whose range am I in?
1: (laughs) Right. Well, that's most people will be very interested to know that the reference ranges that a lot of these pathology centres use is the statistical average of the people that are coming into doctor's offices and GPs, which if we stop and think about that for the moment, it is a statistical average of those people that are not well. So it isn't a really good representation of what someone would be like if they're feeling amazing, if they've got really vital health. And so as natural practitioners, we do have slightly varying reference ranges. So we use a whole different set of ranges compared to Sullivan Nicolades or QML or the pathology centers, because you're right, you're 100% right. If someone is borderline low or high, it's not quite good enough from our perspective. We've It's it's showing you that you are nearing an area that could potentially cause problems down the track. So you're 100%
0: right. You don't want to be just okay. Is there a better time of your cycle to have blood tests done? It depends on what you're testing
1: for. Yes, is the short answer, but it's very complicated. So it depends on if you're trying to test someone's thyroid or if you're trying to test their hormones. So if you're testing a woman's hormones, ideally you want to test them twice, within that menstrual cycle on day three and again between day 19 and 21 because a woman's menstrual cycle what happens in the follicular phase versus the luteal phase which is those two halves that we have ovulation roughly in the middle is very very different so you need to test in both to be able to ascertain a woman's hormone cycle to see if it's really, really in balance. And that gives you an idea. Um, When it comes to women's hormones, I tend to do a little bit more detailed diagnostic tests, which they call a Dutch hormone test. It's kind of like the gold standard when it comes to understanding the very intricate biochemistry that goes into metabolism of hormones. So if I have a woman that's got really significant hormone issues, it is the time. And I try not to over-test. Generally, there's only Blood pathology, the Dutch hormone test and the food antigen test are probably the three things that I use because I try and not, you know, overspend anyone's money. But if someone has significant issues, Mm -hmm. then they may want to look into going into some really intricate diagnostic testing that you can get available through an integrative doctor, a naturopath or a clinical nutritionist as well.
0: And that would be different again for women who are now in in menopause, wouldn't it, as to when Mm. they should test? So if if you're you're not in menopause, it's day three and day 21. And if you are, when is the best time then for testing?
1: Look, it it becomes if they're fully into menopause and it's been a whole year since they've actually had a menstrual cycle, then it is a little bit of a, a needle in the haystack. We do just kind of test at any point to try and see if we get any really outlying markers when it comes to DHEA, testosterone, progesterone or estrogen. So it gets a little bit, it's just different. It's a transition when we get into menopause and our hormones will be be very, very different as a result.
0: So, Lindsay, your first love is gut health and you've developed a product with your other business called C-Biogenics. Where did your love for gut health come about? Was Was it from your accident and your injury? No, believe it or not, it probably came in clinical practice realizing
1: that no matter what I did, say say for example, someone came in with an autoimmune condition and the inflammation was high, if I just went out and gave them a list of foods that were anti-inflammatory foods but didn't address the resilience of their gut microbiome, they may not even absorb those nutrients of those beautiful foods that I'm giving. So I have found probably through many years of practice that if I don't start with someone's gut health first, anything and everything that I do after that may not be as effective as it could be. So in some ways, it's me just trying to optimize treatment um, and the nutrition and the foods that I might be recommending for someone because it, re- it really is the foundation. I know it's been, um, you know, quite the buzzword for even up to 10 years, but it hasn't gone away because the research is really, really showing that We are more bacteria than we are ourselves. This internal world that we have that just operates without us knowing about it is really, really, really impactful for our health. Not only just our health in general, but mental health, neurotransmitter production, you name it. And so there's actually 10 times the more signals coming from your gut to your brain than your brain to your gut. So just that statistic alone can tell you how important the gut interface is with communicating with our brain to then elicit all this other incredible biochemistry. So for me, it's actually just getting better outcomes for any client is that if I've got to do some gut work first, 100%. And that's where the, um, so I guess the birth of of the gut food came from. It actually came from when I was working in a health food store many years ago. Like we had talked about um, an older lady came in and she had been crying and she'd been to her GP and had been told, look, you're going to be on a couple medications here if you don't do something. So she came in looking for a fiber blend. And I just said, nope, I don't carry that one because there was artificial sweeteners and things in it. And I said, let me just go around the bulk food bins and get some whole foods that has lots of omega-3s in it and bring down your inflammation and bring down your cholesterol and it's food. And we just mixed that together. And then I sent her away and I said, I just want you to grind this up, have a tablespoon you know, per day and then just focus on eating whole foods. And so that was this original recipe. And then I had a beautiful... Um, lady come my way, which is now my business partner, Haley. She's actually studying clinical nutrition herself. And she asked if she could do clinical hours in the clinic with me, which I said, absolutely. And she's um, a beautiful artist and an empath. And she very quickly realized when she was in the her clinical hours that it wasn't for her because she said that she would just take on so much of every single client's emotions, their story. And she said, I think I'll be an absolute wreck. So I said, that's really good that you know that ahead of time because it is difficult um, sometimes as a practitioner because you do care. You want people to get from A to B. And so she kind of went away. And then six months later, she just said, do you want to catch up for you know, a cup of tea or coffee? And I said, sure. She said, I've got a great idea. And I was like, awesome. So I did. And she essentially said that, She wanted to start a company that was a Whole Foods functional food company that we were gonna be creating these products that her priority was something that was effective because I think she had been through this journey herself of a lot of food supplements, all sorts of things. And she didn't really gauge whether that they were working or not. I mean, she felt like, sure they have to be, you know, they have to be working well, but her priority was to create something that was actually really noticeably effective. So that was really exciting because I was like, yes, (laughs) I love that. Um, And we sort of had that recipe already for the gut food and we just added more to it. And so that was our first product. And then we also came up with the second one, which is the calm food, which was more kind of something that we made for Haley because she does suffer from anxiety and stress as well. So they came out of a need. The gut food, I suppose, was the need of that beautiful lady that walked in that door serendipitously uh, many years ago. And I hope she hears this one day because... she does not know that all this incredible things came from her walking in the door and the calm food really came from, you know, a need that Haley had when, when it came to her stress and anxiety. And I know there's so many people that are, you know, dealing with that as well. So it's been a labor of love. It's been very, a very cool journey to be on in a different side of the industry is to make something
0: Lindsay, we have access to you on You Must Try It and it's not just, of course, about gut food. You are our primary tester um, of all the products that we have come through the platform because we want everyone to know that they can trust what, what we're delivering is as low-tox as possible, is sustainable, is environmentally conscious. Uh, so if anyone is following us, and I know you all are now, on You Must Try It as well, you'll see Lindsay pop up with these amazing tips and tricks for all the products that we have there, not just for gut health, um, for gut food and calm food, but for everything that we have on board. And Lindsay, you give such wonderful digestible, uh, excuse the pun, <laughs> Uh, advice for us all. There, what are the, what are the three tips for your clients or for all of us um, for tomorrow morning when we wake up? What should we be doing if we were following the Lindsay Koch way of life?
1: Okay. Yes. Well, like I said, I've been trying to convert people to sunrises. I know. I know that's a big ask. <laughs> Work your way into it. Expose <laughs> yourself in some way. You don't have to go down and drive and go see the sunrise, but if you have. Some part of your house that is oriented towards where the sun comes up, that's actually good enough. So get out there and do that. I'm a big advocate of at least a liter of water before noon, because you got to realize when we wake up, our body is going through that detoxification process. So of all times, I mean, hydration is important all times of the day, but the most pivotal time to get hydration in is definitely before noon. So that's why I say is bare minimum a liter before then. And something that I like to tell people too is people get stuck in diets that are really either restrictive or they have to count macros or calories or things like that. And look, I'm I'm just not a big advocate for that because it really creates what I believe is kind of a negative association with food. And I, I really want people to look at food and love it and enjoy it, but also realize that it really has, like I said, this untapped potential for healing your body So I, the way that I tell people to, to gauge how you're eating is it's very simple. I actually use it for children, but I actually give it to a lot of adults as well, is I want you to eat a rainbow a day, as far as colors of vegetables and fruits and everything. And then I want you to just add in quality protein and good fats. And it just takes the pressure off and it makes it really, really fun, especially when like my, my daughters come home from school and I say to them, I said, what color haven't you eaten today? And they might say red. And I go, okay, well, what's red? And you give them a choice. They go, well, it could be a tomato. It could be a red capsicum. It could be strawberry. And so I just say to them, go get it. Go get it. We need to eat the rainbow today. And whilst that works really well for children, it's actually a really, really simple way for us as adults to kind of measure how we're doing without having any kind of negative association or feeling like I'm restricting myself from something. Because I think that's something that we we really need. I'm really passionate about getting... um, People to love food, it's really yummy, and if you cook it right and spend some time, you can have the best of both worlds. It can taste really amazing, and it can also be incredibly nourishing for your body as well. So that's what I would start with. And like I said, become a, become a bit of a light Nazi if you want to. <laughs> Switch the lights out at nighttime.
0: Lindsay, you have planted so many beautiful seeds. You have sprouted so many new interests for all of us today. And as I said, you can get hold of Lindsay whenever and wherever you like. But of course, she is available to us on the You Must Try It platform with lots of fabulous tips. So Lindsay, thank you so much for your time today. It has been lovely chatting to you as always. I will catch you on the other side. They say people come into your life for a reason and I can't help but think that's the case with Lindsay and how lucky we are to have crossed her path. She is the definition of authenticity and good health. Lindsay's on a mission. She's driven to support us flourish from the inside out and I'm confident with her as our wellness guide and guru at You Must Try It. We'll do just that. Please share Lindsay's story with the ones you love and check out her gut food and calm food products on our store, youmusttryit.com. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Off Season. I'm Shelley Craft and this is The Aging Project Podcast.